Well, there's probably a question that you've been asked this time of year. It's a question that gets asked every time this uh, time of year. Uh, maybe you've asked this question. The question is this. Is there anything you want for Christmas? Hippopotamus. Hippopotamus. <laughs> Thank you. Now, do you, do you like that question or not like that question? Like, for me, there's a question that comes after the question. Because if you ask me, what, is there anything that I would like for Christmas? My next question, well, I'm, I'm not going to say it, but I'm going to think it, right? Right. How much are we talking here? Like, if you want to know my list, I mean, we can go down the list, right? We can start with houses and cars and we can go all the way down. Now, are we talking there or are we going all the way down to like a Starbucks gift card? Like, we live our lives and answer our questions and go through our days guided by limits, right? Like, we have, we can do this, but not that. That's possible. That's not possible. We know our personal limits. Some of us do. Some of us don't. Some of us are learning those limits, right? But we, everything we do is guided by limits. I think when I think about limits and being limited, I think of uh, being a student at UGA. And... Um, and let's just say, uh, so many of you last week were so incredibly kind because you came up afterwards and pointed out how ironic, with a smile, you thought it was that I was talking about hope the day after Georgia lost to Alabama. <laughs> and it wasn't any of the Georgia fans that pointed that out. It was all of you other people um, that pointed that out. But all that to say, limits at UGA as a student. Maybe you remember being a student. One of the things you were limited in was financial resources. And that applied when it came to where you ate and what you ate. So in Athens, there was a list of restaurants you had as a student that were restaurants you went to when you paid. And then there was another list. There was a list of restaurants you went to when mom and dad were in town, right? And the amazing blessing as a student was when my dad would come in town and he'd be like, hey, order anything you want. It was like, ah, oh, no limits. You see, limits apply in our relationship with God as well. Because inevitably, when we look at what's possible, we oftentimes find ourselves limited by what we think can happen, by what we think is possible. We limit God by what we know. And this morning, I want us to look at this old story, the story of Mary. This angel comes to Mary for telling the birth of Jesus. It's something that many of you could get up here and you could tell the story. But I want us not to be limited this morning by what we know. And I want us to walk out free in recognizing that we serve and follow a God who has no limits. And that's what this story especially points to this morning. Last week, we looked at the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth. We looked at, at how we're in this season, we're going to be looking at just wanting to grow and desiring to grow in a wonder of who God is and what he's done and what he's continuing to do. And last week, we said our wonder, in our waiting, we must not allow our wondering to replace our wonder. Questions, they're okay. Questions are invited. Questions God allows. But God doesn't want us to live in our questions. He wants to move from our questions to living in wonder in the midst of our questions, being in awe of what he's doing and what he has planned. And this morning, I want to shift gears just a little bit under this theme of wonder and say in our wonder, our wonder grows, I believe, when we remember that God is not limited by what we know. God is not limited by what you and I know. And we're going to see that this morning in the story, the familiar story of Mary. So if you've got your Bibles, flip over to Luke, Luke chapter 1. And I want to just invite you. I want to invite you to look, not because we have some earth-shattering, never-before-seen aspect of the story, but just to open your hearts and minds to what God wants to say to you 
this morning through a story you're probably pretty familiar with. For, your, for years, God's people, as they awaited the Messiah, were looking. And they were anchored in the words, a lot of words of Isaiah that were foretelling what was going to come and what was going to happen. And one verse particularly, who probably is familiar with you, is Isaiah 7, verse 14. It says, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall, you shall call his name Emmanuel. The virgin, the son, the, the coming one was coming. But the reality was the people saw these words, memorized these words, recited these words, referenced these words. But all I'm guessing was through the lens of their own limits. Because how they thought this was going to happen is very different than how we're going to see the story begin to unfold today. It's even better than they thought. In Luke chapter 1, last week, Zechariah and Elizabeth, we're going to jump to verse 26 and we find another angelic announcement. Gabriel has been very busy. Six months later, he's coming now to Mary. And it says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. I love Luke. We talked last week. He's wanting to give an orderly account. He's pulling together all the facts, all the details. He wants you to know this wasn't a fairy tale. This actually happened. And so it's throughout his book, but especially here at the beginning, he's anchoring what is happening and what he's saying to real places, real people, and real events. And so he says last week, we saw it was the days of Herod. This week, he gets even more specific. It's in the days of Herod in the sixth month. There was an, uh, an angel came from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now, Nazareth, we know, Jesus from Nazareth. Nazareth was a no-name place in those days. Nazareth was such a no-name place that Luke has to say Galilee, a city in Galilee named Nazareth. People wouldn't have even known what Nazareth was. We know that it was inconsequential because when Jesus was calling his disciples, one of his disciples came and someone said, hey, I think we found the Messiah. He's from Nazareth. And the response was, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Luke is anchoring the story. He's putting the story at a specific time in a specific place an ordinary time in a very unordinary place because nothing good comes out of Nazareth. It was inconsequential. No one even knew it existed. Probably max population was maybe 500 people. This was a small little village. But the time and the place, and he also points to the lineage, setting the scene of going, hey, there is a virgin, and this, this virgin is named Mary. And this Mary is from the line of David. Her husband, future husband, is from the line of David. Connecting the story from the Old Testament, knowing that there would be a king. There would be a Messiah coming from the line of David. And interestingly, Luke wants it to be very, very, very clear. That the part of the prophecy that's being fulfilled is the fact that this baby that's going to be foretold in just a few moments is a, from a virgin. Notice, if you have your Bibles, you can circle it. It's three times he lists and is describing Mary. He doesn't want you to miss it. It's a significant part of the story. Why? Because it connects back to the prophecy. But what's gonna happen is the prophecy is gonna be fulfilled in a way that is very unlike people expected it to be fulfilled. Luke anchors what will be a miraculous story in specific people and places. And not surprisingly, Mary is troubled. As with all people who encounter an angel, she's afraid. And the angel, before she even speaks to her fear, the angel addresses her fear in verse 30 when he says, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. 
And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Notice at this point in the story, we have two names that we did not have in the past. We were told that a virgin would give birth, a virgin would conceive in Isaiah. We were told, we were told that a Messiah would come, but we now know we now know that the virgin is named Mary, the Messiah is named Jesus. We don't know it's the Messiah yet because Gabriel hasn't gotten there, but now we have two names. Now that we filling in the details of what we did not know leading up to this point. Mary is afraid. He speaks to fear. And why does he tell Mary not to be afraid? Don't be afraid because you have found favor with God. There are two types of people those who fear God and those who, not, those who should fear God and those who should not. Those who should not fear God are those who have found favor with him. Those who are not going to be afraid when they stand in the presence of a holy God are those who have received the grace of God. And oftentimes we read this passage and we think, oh, God looked down and he looked for the most righteous, the most faithful, the best girl he could find and it ended up being Mary. But that's not the case. That's not what was being communicated here. It's not the fact that Mary did something to make herself favored. It's the fact that God chose to extend his grace to Mary. Now, don't miss this. Mary was obviously someone, a woman of faith, a girl of faith, someone who was, God knew would trust and believe and walk out his plan. And so we don't want to discount that. But historically, you look at the, the Catholic Church, which would say that Mary was a dispenser of grace. When the reality is this says, no, Mary was a recipient of grace. The only other time the word for favored here, this word favored is used, is used in Ephesians 1 verse 6. And it says, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. The same favor that Mary experienced, the same grace that Mary was given is the same favor and grace that has been bestowed on all those who know Jesus. See, Mary may have been righteous and she may have been faithful, but she, like all of us, was sinful. We know that because Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That all included Mary. So yes, we should point to Mary as an example for us, but we must not put her too high above us. She was favored not because of what she did, but because of what God did for her, just like you and me. You see, she's afraid, and the angel points to something that honestly is not that miraculous. Do you notice what the angel says to Mary? You will conceive. You will conceive. Now, based on last week when we talked about Zechariah, you had an old man and a woman advanced in years, if you remember, saying you're going to have a baby, which was miraculous. This announcement at this point is not miraculous. She is a virgin who is engaged to be married and it would be expected that she would have children in the near future. So this announcement isn't miraculous. This is actually very normal. What's about to get crazy is what and how this conception is going to happen. You see, what's about to change Mary's world and is about to change the world forever is the fact that this is not any ordinary conception. And Gabriel begins setting the stage for what's happening. Look at verse 32. He will be great 
and be called the son of the most high. And the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his king, of his kingdom, there will be no end. We read this and we go, oh, that sounds like some nice platitudes for, God, for Jesus. Like, no, oh, that's pretty good. They're describing it. But what is, what is happening is Gabriel is pointing to the fact that this is, this is not just a baby. This is the long-awaited Messiah. He's linking the baby to God. He will be great, actually great. The only one great, the only one described great is God in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 10, 17 says, For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribes. He points to the fact that he's the son of the most high. In Acts 7, 48, it says, Yet the most high God does not dwell in the houses made by hands. Most high was a reference to God, a son of God. And he points to the fact that he's going to come from the line of David and he's going to rule and he's going to reign forever and ever. There will be no end, which was a reference back to the promise God gave David in 2 Samuel 7. In 2 Samuel 7, David's getting towards the end of his life and God says, hey, I'm promising to you that your line will continue forever. And when you read 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12, it says, when your days, David's days, are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now, you read that and you know, if you know who comes after David, it was his son Solomon. It's a reference to Solomon. But the passage goes on and God explains, it says, hey, it's beyond Solomon because we don't know how long Solomon lived, but we know that he died. So this was not true just of Solomon. This was speaking to someone beyond Solomon, which is why a couple of verses later in verse 16, it says, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. People knew that this Messiah was coming and he was going to fulfill the promise to reign on David's throne forever and ever. And so what the angel is saying to Mary is, guess what? It's here. The long-awaited Messiah is coming and you're a part of the plan. So you might wonder, why would the angel not just say that? Hey, Mary, the long-awaited Messiah is coming. Instead, he drops all these hints along the way. Well, he's not just dropping hints. God is tying the story together. He's saying, hey, all of these things you've been reading and all these things you've been hoping in, all these promises that are unfulfilled, they're all coming true. So rather than saying, hey, the Messiah is coming, I'm gonna say all of these things are coming, which means the Messiah is coming. Today, as we lit the peace candle and we read, the, we read that peace has a name, the rescuer is coming. The Savior's on the way. The long-awaited Messiah is now here. The news that the Messiah was coming in a matter of months would have been earth-shattering news for Mary. Like she'd been waiting in a culture that had been waiting and talking and praying and anticipating this day, and now it was coming. So what was her response? In verse 34, we get Mary speaking for the first time and she says to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? Last week, we talked about Zachariah and Zachariah asked a similar question in Luke 1.18. Zachariah asked the question in response to what the angel told him, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. 
We talked a little bit about the questions and what in the Bible we have certain people that, that ask questions and seem that seem to be okay. Other people ask questions like Zachariah asked that question. He didn't speak for nine months until John the Baptist was born. Mary asks a similar question, but she doesn't seem to be chastised for it. What's the difference? If you summarize and distill their questions, I think their questions come down to be very different based on one word. Mary asks, how will this be? Zechariah asks, how shall I know this? Mary is assuming that it will happen. She's wanting to know how. Zechariah is asking, can it happen? And I wonder in our lives, in my life, how often I find myself defaulting to the can question. Can this happen? How can this happen? God, what are you going to do? Don't you know that, don't you know the limits of our world? Don't you know the limits of, of biology? Don't you know the limits of you fill in the blank? When instead Mary stands in a posture when she says, I don't, my God knows no limits. Therefore, my question is not, can it? My question is, how will it be? With Mary, we see a heart desiring to believe, but unable to see. May we be people who ask like Mary, how will it happen? Not how can it She's pointing to the limits of her understanding, saying, I don't understand. I'm guessing when an angel says you will conceive, Zachariah had a very logical way this would happen. He was married and he had a wife. Mary, as we know, is not yet married and has never been married. And so when the angel says you will conceive, her question of how is a very valid question because she probably understands enough about babies to know babies take two. So how am, how am I, what, what role am I supposed to play in this? Is this a coming in the future once I get married? Is there something now? Like it's kind of confusing within the posture I am and the place I am in life right now to think that this is going to happen. So can you give me some context? Can you tell me what my role is to play and what you are telling me you're going to do? Now, this is 100% conjecture, but I've got to wonder. Look at the next, look at, look at Gabriel. Like what Gabriel is about to say, he's going to answer the question, how can it be, right? Because based on um, Mary's limited understanding, limited knowledge, what she can see, what she understands and how things can work, right? He's about to blow her mind. He's about to rock the entire world with a revelation of what we call the incarnation. That isn't, this isn't just a baby. This is actually going to be God. Now, so picture Gabriel for this with me for a second. He's either... Absolutely giddy. Like, this is unbelievable. Like, this is the greatest news the world has ever known since the world was created. Because since the world was created, a couple days later, you guys kind of messed up the whole thing. And so this is actually the solution to the whole problem that the mankind has been living in. This is amazing. Or, or is Gabriel sitting there checking his note cards, going, it's, it says to say this, but I better, I better read that. I better just read it because it doesn't make sense to me. Check out what Gabriel says. And the angel answered her, how will this be? The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is in the sixth month with her who was, uh, well, who was called barren. We skip over this, right? We move past it because let's get to when Jesus comes. This verse, verse 35, may be one of the most hopeful verses in all of Scripture. 
Because what does it say? Imagine Mary sitting here, an angel speaking to you. All right, so I'm afraid. This is absolutely overwhelming. Angel is saying you're favored by God. Great. Angel is saying you're going to have a kid. Okay. How is that going to happen? The angel is saying you're going to have a kid. And it's going to be God. Now, Mary, I've got to believe, is thinking on her own, from her own perspective, what does this mean for me? At the same time, she's also thinking, what does this mean for us? Like this Messiah that we've been waiting for, this is absolutely different. This blows the limits of anything we thought was possible. We thought a Messiah would come. We thought someone would come to rescue us. Someone would come to save us, a messenger, one of like one of the mighty prophets of the day. But we had no idea. No one was expecting it to be God. Gabriel just made the most magnificent announcement the world has ever heard. God was coming. And in the moment, as if to preempt the questions that Gabriel knew were coming and the questions that oftentimes come to your mind and mine, and we wonder what God is doing and how he's doing it, Gabriel gives us the next verse. For nothing will be impossible with God. I I know, I know there's a lot of questions I know there's a lot of unanswered loose ends of how things are going to work out and you're not sure, but guess what? This is what's happening beyond your limits, beyond your limited understanding. And guess what? It's possible because nothing is impossible with God. Now, take Mary, step out of Mary's story for just a minute and step into your story. As God invites you to follow him, to trust him, to walk the journey of your life and things face you and you're overwhelmed and you're wondering what God's doing and when he's going to show up and how he's going to show up and what he's going to do and how he's going to do it. Do you live in the reality of that verse? Nothing is impossible with God. Our posture then becomes, God, what will you do? Not what can you Verse 38, we have Mary's declaration of humble faith and trust in a God who can do anything, even things beyond her limits, limited understanding. Look at verse 38. And Mary said, behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Twofold, we see Mary's faith. One, I'm the servant of the Lord. What is a servant's role? A servant's role is to do what their master desires, to recognize it's not their business, it's his business. It's not my ideas, it's his ideas. It's not my plans, it's his plans. We're writing his story, not writing my story. It's a a position, right? It's, It's a place, knowing your role, understanding the role you were asked to play. She's saying, I am your servant. And then she says, let it be to me according to your word. I'm not going to try to edit the story. I'm not going to try to append the story. I'm not going to try to change the story. I'm not going to offer a rewrite of the story. As your servant, I'm willing to simply stand and say one word. Yes. Yes. Now, once again, we know how the story ends. But can you sit with Mary for just a minute right there? 
And in everyday, ordinary time, who knows what she was doing, this angel shows up and has just rocked her world. One, that the Messiah is coming. Two, that she's going to play a part. And three, the Messiah is actually going to be God. And listen, the angel disappears and she's left sitting there alone. Can you imagine what's going through her mind? Because while we know how the story ends, Mary is sitting at day one. And in sitting at day one, she's instinctively thinking, I would imagine, of what this means. Like, people who get pregnant and aren't married in this village die. People who are engaged and get pregnant, well, their husbands don't marry them. They leave them. And if you can't get married, there's no hope for you in the future. And the questions go on and on and on. But in that space, she says simply, I am your servant. Let it be according to your word. It's absolutely mind-blowing. The faith that she demonstrates, and I doubt it was without question, without fear, without apprehension. Her faith had a cost, and we can't miss that. God declared that Mary was favored and suddenly she's finding herself in a position where she's favored and being invited into God's story. But that story is not going to be all rosy. That story is going to be hard. Do you know people like that? Do you know people, as you look around, you see their story playing out and you go, God, they seem to be doing everything right. They seem to be honoring you, loving you, pointing to you, and yet they suffer, and yet they encounter this hardship and that hardship. And this week, we've been close to one of those stories. Some of you guys know Cheryl Walmire and Bruce Walmire. They've been at Sanctuary since the very beginning. And I don't believe there is another person who's walked this planet that has loved Jesus more than Cheryl and loved Jesus in such a way that pointed people to Jesus constantly. The stories of, of doctors she's witnessed to, to, to just random people she runs into. If you spend any time with Cheryl, you will not, you will not walk away without hearing about Jesus. It's just who she is. And she's walked a long road battling cancer for years and is right now, today, like right on the edge. Like every breath, it's a question of, is, it, is the next one gonna be here or is the next one gonna be in heaven? As we gathered last night and praying and singing and, 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 and just celebrating and just hearing person after person recount of the impact that she had, you sit step back and you go, God, wait a second. If someone's going to live like this, like, don't they deserve better? Like, doesn't, isn't, doesn't the plan change? But we look at the story of Mary and we go, why, why would we expect it to? Because God's people are consistently asked to walk hard roads, do hard things. Why? Because God's writing a bigger story. And just like Mary is sitting in this moment going, I don't understand how this is going to work. I don't understand how this is going to play out. And we know the story is not just, it isn't a glorious story. It's a challenging road for Mary. And when Jesus is dedicated to the temple just a few days after his birth, Simeon prophesies to Mary and says, a sword will pierce your heart. This will not be easy. But it's in that posture that Mary says, I am your servant. Let it be as you have said. I know that in the next hours, 
When Cheryl steps into heaven, man, there's going to be reception for her. Just like there will be for every one of us that walks with Jesus and gets to that place to walk into heaven because of what Jesus has made available to us. Because Jesus did the hard thing. Because Jesus came, he invites us to walk the hard road as well. You see, being in wonder that God would use us, I believe protects us from the fear and doubt that comes when we question how God chooses to use us. Let me say that again. Being in wonder that God would use us, that I have a role, I'm invited to be a part of his story, protects us from the fear and doubt that comes when we question how God chooses to use us. Yes, we would like to write our own story, but would you like to be a part of your story or part of God's story? I want to be a part of his. And that's the story that we find Mary stepping into. I love it. The angel leaves her, but the angel leaves her with a place to go. The angel points to Mary and says, oh, by the way, your, your, your relative, Elizabeth, she is with child as well. And so the story picks up in verse 39. In those days, Mary rose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judea. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greetings of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Verse 45, and blessed is she who believed. She believed. The ask, the request, the invitation was to believe what God said was gonna happen. If you skip down to the end, I love this. Luke with details sticks this detail in there and I got to believe it's part of Mary's story. Verse 56 says, And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Now, if you're good with math, maybe not good with math, I think you can do this math. Elizabeth was six months pregnant. The angel appears to Mary. Mary goes to Elizabeth, stays with her about three months. Why do you think Mary stayed three months? I think she stayed with Elizabeth until John the Baptist was born. I think she stayed with Elizabeth seeing Zachariah silent, mute because of his encounter with his angel. And I think she sat there wondering, is this really, what is happening here? And her faith in her belief had to be bolstered as she saw John the Baptist born. And then she heard Zachariah's song, which we looked at last week. And with that experience, we reminded of what God has done, God promised, and God has been faithful. She goes back to Nazareth to whatever that held to whatever hardship, adversity she was walking in, she walked back there bolstered by what she'd seen of God in the past. And the same is true for us. As you walk into what God is inviting you in, maybe it's hard, maybe it's challenging, maybe it's downright miserable. I would encourage you to be anchored by what has happened in the past. What you've seen God do and how you've seen God work. If Mary's going, is this really gonna happen? She has to look at John and go, well, that happened. So surely this will happen. We get to the end of Luke, Luke 1. Not the end, but uh, sorry, verse 46. And you have Mary's Magnificat. 
her song, her declaration. And one of the things I love about this is this doesn't come in the moment after the angel left her. It's not like the angel showed up, gave this declaration, left all these questions, and then Mary burst into song. I don't know when this was written. I don't know when she actually sang it, but I think it's placed by Luke specifically after the encounter with Elizabeth, because guess what? There was time. There was time for her to process. There was time for her to think. There was time for her to question. There was time for her to say, am I really in? Am I, do I really believe this? And then look at the declaration. Look at the words. We don't have time to dive deep into this, but essentially this, her song is broken into three sections. The first section describes what God does for Mary. The second section describes what God does for all people. And the last one, what God is doing for Israel. In verse 45, it's 46, it says, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. It's a declaration of belief in the unknown. A declaration saying, I have limits. I don't understand, but I serve and follow and submit and am a servant of the God of no limits. I'm trusting. I'm following. I believe. Her song describes how the script has been flipped. Rather than trying to get to a God, a God, the God, is coming to us. He's doing everything backwards. The weak will become strong. And as we know, when Jesus arrives on the scene, it's an upside-down kingdom. I believe this morning, Mary is inviting us to join her and declaring and proclaiming God's goodness, that God rescues, that God saves, and that God uses us in his story. And we can stand in awe and wonder of the fact that that God invites us to be his servants and gives us the invitation to say, according to your word, may it be. At the beginning, I asked a question, a question we've been asking in your families and with friends, what do you want for Christmas? wonder what your response would be if God came to you and said, what do you want for Christmas? Knowing that it's a God of no limits. So the question we talked about earlier is, well, I don't know if we're talking what, what, what the scale is here. There is no scale. God can do anything. So let me ask you this. What is it you really want? Because you can point to all these different things, but what's behind those things this week, we're pointing to the candle of peace. And I think behind many of the things that you would put on your list, many of the things you'd put before God, is really a desire for peace. It's a desire to not be anxious about what's around the corner. It's a desire to be, have answers to the questions that you don't know. A desire to be confident that God does have this and God does have me. So what would it look like this week for you to come before God 
and say, God, would you, not can you, but would you, would you give me your peace? I want to invite us to follow Mary's example this morning. I want us to do two things. I want us to respond in gratitude to what he has done. Because we know the story. We know that the, the manger led to the cross and the cross led to an empty grave. And God is no, Jesus is no longer here because he's gone back to heaven. It's not a matter if he's coming the first time. It's a matter of when he's coming the second time. In that space, we get to proclaim even more so than Mary did about what God has done. We get to respond with gratitude. And secondly, I want us to respond with surrender. Surrender, saying, God, I want above all else to be used by you. I don't know what you have in store for me, but I want to say yes. And I want you to use me to accomplish your purposes and to finish your story here on so as we worship these last two songs, if you wanna worship by taking communion, it's in the corners, we invite you, those who have a relationship with Jesus to go there and take the bread, remember the body broken for you, the blood shed for you and respond in gratitude and then respond in surrender to whatever you have for me, God, I say yes. And for all of us, may we, like Mary, grow in our wonder of a God who has no limits. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. We thank you for Mary. We thank you for the hope and the encouragement that her story gives. God, we recognize the hard. We have no idea what she encountered. We have no idea how difficult it was, how long those days, weeks, months, and even years were. But God, we're thankful for her willingness to trust, to follow, and to surrender to what you knew was best. We thank you that through Mary's obedience, through Mary's faith, God, we get to experience the gift of Jesus, the life that he extends. So with that in mind, God, we respond with gratitude and we respond with surrender. God, may it be in each one of our lives as you say. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.